in a world where literature is dominated by dusty leather-bound books with no pictures. Three men dare to venture to their local comic shop to approach the counter and utter those three magic words. Make mine paperback. Welcome in and welcome back to Make Mine Paperback, a podcast about comic books and the book by Nicholas Sparks and his brother Micah. Three Weeks with My Brother is an account of their three-week trip around the globe, as well as memories of their family life from childhood to adulthood. As the only surviving members of their family, the two brothers embarked on this journey to visit the wonders of the world. However, on this journey, they discovered themselves. They discovered the truth about life, loss, and love. I'm Graham the Truth Giles, and with me, as always, my brother's in sequential art. He's traveling the globe with his brother in a desperate attempt to reconnect. Feeling fraternity with Marvel Comics, Alex Shear. And he's pining for the days of his youth, distracted by Detective Comics, Stephen Shear. Today, we begin our theme for the month of April, our theme for the month, Grant Morrison Masterpieces. This week, we have Stephen's book on the theme. Stephen, what are we talking about this week? Graham, today we are talking about Doom Patrol numbers 19 and 20, uh, which is uh, Climbing from the Wreckage Part 1 and 2. And I did not copy the description from last week, so <laughs> we are going to improvise here. Um, this is about the, the new, or the Doom Patrol's new direction continues as the patrol welcomes Rebus, the new negative being, and we learn more about Crazy Jane and the Scissor Men start cutting up something fierce. But before we get to that, Graham, what'd you read this week? Read. Huh? New drop? I like it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't uh, do it again. <laughs> <laughs> this week we I uh, <laughs> so, such a good drop. I forgot what I read. <laughs> <laughs> this week I checked out some Chip Zdarsky. Uh, you know we love Chip on the uh, on the podcast, and I checked out uh, his his run on Daredevil. I'm I'm through the the first three volumes. Um, which, uh, yeah, if we haven't talked about it before, uh, Hoopla, cool app. Uh, if you have a library card, most, uh, library jurisdictions have, uh, have Hoopla accounts. So you can, you can sign up with a hoop for a Hoopla account through your library card and lots of cool comics on there. Um, you know, we talked about Saga last week and, uh, Saga on there has the most recent issues on there. So you can, you can get caught up on Saga all the way through Hoopla, but me, I was reading Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil. I noticed that we've read a lot of DC uh, for the podcast, especially recently. And uh, and I've been reading a lot of DC stuff. So I felt it was only fair to give uh, Marvel a shot. So we read some Chip Zdarsky uh, Daredevil. And that's that's pretty great. Can't recommend it highly enough. I've actually also read that. Too. It was a very good run. I, I think I've only read the first two volumes, but I loved it. Like you get a little bit of Punisher too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. What about you, Alex? Uh, this week, I picked up a book called Batman the War Year, and it's talking about the different tales of Batman and Robin from 1939 to 1945. So as the title suggests, the war years during World War II, the, the height of the international conflict. And they were out here writing Batman and Robin comics. So got to keep the people at home entertained some really cool history um it's not even just the comics itself but there's like a little bit of cool history in there just talking about the the different things from the era um and yeah i mean the comics obviously great 
but you know just little tiny tidbits of of the you know of the art of the of the comics itself through that era so really good stuff um not too far into it i'll be honest uh just a couple issues in but pretty good stuff so far yeah that's something i'd be interested in checking out it's uh it's fun to read some of the old comics sometimes oh yeah even though they might not be you know it's you know, even if with modern comics coming out mm-hmm. and all that, it's sometimes it's nice to revisit some of the classics. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about you, Steven? I finally finished Witch Blood. There um, you go. Which I didn't realize was going to be the first of a few books. So I'm excited to see more of that. Uh, it was, it's a good book. Um, if you guys get get an extra minute and you want to check out a book by Vault Comics, then I would recommend it. Something new. Okay. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yep. Pretty cool. Yeah. All right. So let's... Uh, Getting into some Grant Morrison masterpieces, starting with one of my personal favorite runs. Um, so far, the favorite thing I've read by Grant Morrison, which is Doom Patrol. And before we kind of get into it, just a quick little summary. So we started with Doom Patrol 19, and uh, the reason is that reason for that being is that Grant actually started writing it in on that issue, issue 19. Um, one through 18 were kind of cheesy and and not very well received, so that's why they got in a new writer. And on the uh, at the end of issue 18, um, there was an alien invasion and in the process eliminated all the members of the Doom Patrol with the exception of Robot Man. Um, Cliff is the only member of the Doom Patrol to survive all the iterations. So we start 19 with kind of a clean slate, new writer. And uh, I mean, what do you guys think of it? What do you guys think of Doom Patrol? So I obviously, you know, this is... This is not a team or a group or whatever that I'm familiar with. You know, you always hear it advertised or you always see it advertised, whatever. Um, I was a big fan. I was really digging the throwback art. I feel like, again, we talk about art all the time, and I'm the one who brings up the art the most. But I really love the 80s and 90s style of the artwork. And, I mean, just what they do. I mean, just a lot of the overlapping with the speech bubbles um, and just how straightforward it is. It doesn't feel very flashy. It feels very... Well, old school because, you know, it's a 30-plus-year-old comic. So big fan of that uh, as a general rule. Yeah, the, uh, the art is very classic 80s to me. It's just, <laughs> I mean, you can look at any 80s comics and compare it to that. Well, it read but... like a comic strip almost to me. That's that's really, you know, yeah, it, we talked about comic strips on here before from old newspapers and stuff. But just the, the style and kind of the flow of it didn't have any new age nuance to it or you know modern nuance to it that we see with even comics from 20 years ago but this one had i mean it just felt very much like a comic strip it was very straightforward and i felt fairly easy to read as well yeah i, I agree it was it, i think i read very easily I, I like you know normally i like the modern art style mm-hmm. i talked about that i like how they kind of make it look like a movie now with all the action you can kind of see motion but i do like the classic throwbacks i do think this one read very easily i don't think the art distracted at all from the story and in fact in some yeah. of the scenes i think it really helped mm-hmm. all right um what about you graham big fan of doom patrol <laughs> uh, i i am a big fan of doom patrol the uh I, what's what's so great about it and, and i don't know if you guys read the the collected edition the it's a you know grant morrison has has kind of these book one and book two um of actually more than that but (laughs) those are the ones that i uh rented on uh on on hoopla but the in the first one he grant has a has an introductory letter i suppose um where they talk about the taking over uh the writing duties on doom patrol and one thing that's really cool about it is grant acknowledging that the uh the first whatever it is first 18 issues sucked 
<laughs> and he's, I mean, just like without, not really, I mean, pulling punches just a little bit, but basically he, I think he uses the words like just were unpopular yeah. um, are the words that he uses. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's very clear that um, Grant, they're talking about the, this is not, this is not the way Doom Patrol, Doom Patrol should have been run. Uh, they kind of treated it as a, uh, the, the, the old writer treated it as just a um like like a fun weird team but but treated it almost like like all the other superhero teams of the day and uh, both the introductory uh writings in, in this book talk about the way that that doom patrol the reason it's so great and and i agree but the reason it's so great is because these are superheroes who aren't necessarily that super right they they have they're superheroes, but they have their problems are also super. So while they have superpowers, they also have super problems. And a lot of times, like you think, when you think about Superman, you're like, no, no normal person would ever be like, man, I would never want to be Superman. But a lot of these Doom Patrol characters, you go, I would never want to be Robot Man. No. I would never want to be Cliff. No. <laughs> so there's quite a few of these Doom Patrol characters where you go, yeah, they got superpowers, but their life is rough. Um, but my favorite thing about the Doom Patrol, about this whole thing, uh, I, the art the art is cool, but I think it's it, it does kind of feel like standard 80s, 90s mm. art. It's not um, – it, it, it doesn't blow me out of the water. It's, it's also not bad. Um, but I, th- I think that oftentimes in comics, that's that's what happens is the uh, the the art is supposed to be there to further the story and it's not supposed to take over the story. And that, that's what this does well. Yeah. Um, but the book, what's so great about these books is that they're always like the Doom Patrol is a is a cool uh, superhero team. Even it's kind of tongue in cheek. It knows it's not a su- cool superhero team, but they start to present like maybe this this issue there'll be a cool superhero team, and then they come in. There's chaos, and then something happens where it's really easily resolved. It's like yeah. walk in, pretend to be a superhero team. We see through it right away. Chaos ensues everything's weird and at the end of the day something simple solves the problem we're not sure doom patrol is really the ones who deserve credit for the victory but they get it (laughs) that's so funny that you said that is that's i mean you said put it in words better than i could because it and it's also a tv show or a a series on hbo Mm -hmm. max as well and that series also encapsulates that same spirit where it is like graham said it's like you just weird stuff happens the doom patrol shows up and then they may or may not actually have any influence on the resolution but it always gets resolved <laughs> and uh but it's it's fun it's fun um so it's kind of a good starting off point so um in brick by brick or crawling from the wreckage um as as we kind of pointed out this was issue 19 the first 18 issues were written by somebody else and then this is when grant took over um so mm-hmm. we start out with with uh the new doom patrol and robot man um, also known as Cliff, we learn about his backstory. Fake Iron he, Man. <laughs> fake Iron. Oh, I don't. He's much worse than Iron Man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, fake Iron Man. Like, I, I don't think he's at all Iron Man. He's like. He's, he's got he's, a thing on his chest, and he's wearing a suit of armor. Do we really details? <laughs> so uh, I don't. I, I I'm not sure. Do you know what the thing on his chest is, Stephen? Because it looks like a necklace. Like I don't think. It's yeah, it looks like a thing. necklace. It doesn't look like a any kind of powering device. i'm sure it gets explained at some point i can't remember but the important parts about cliff to remember is he used to be a professional race car driver and he was in a mysterious accident 
and and it's no spoiler. I mean, this is like if you've watched the show or if you've read the comics, it's a, it becomes immediately apparent that the leader um, of the Doom Patrol, Niles Calder, is very suspicious. And so it's always a question of whether or not he caused the accident that caused Cliff to become Robot Man in the first place. So that's uh, so Cliff used to be a professional race driver, race car driver, and now he's a robot who can't feel and can't taste. He can't enjoy pretty much anything that makes humanity fun. Um, and then the other member of the team we're introduced to pretty early is uh, Larry Trainer, who was a fighter pilot who was also in a mysterious accident. And so he's recovering in the hospital, and, um, and in a very Doom Patrol fashion, there's a negative spirit that fuses him with his like nursing help. So then Larry becomes Rebus. So that's our second member that you're introduced to. Um, so, and, it, well, and he he becomes Rebus after he merges with this doctor who's been taking care of him. But do we know? I mean, this isn't truly like. I mean, it's it's a rebirth of Doom Patrol, but it's not like truly a rebirth of Doom Patrol. What what is? Do you know what what Larry's backstory is here? Because it seems like when the negative spirit arrives, he's talking to it like he knows who it is. Yeah. So. As the audience, are we supposed to already know that he's had this relationship, like from the earlier like '60s comics, or is this like, are we supposed to be like, oh, he has an earlier relationship, but we don't know what it is? The negative spirit does get explored further in every issue, uh, and it, like, there's, so there's a current run of Doom Patrol from 2018 or so that was actually written by uh, the, the, the leader of My Chemical Romance. What's his name? Gerard. So I don't know that guy. He he writes Doom Patrol now, and. So it's the same thing where the, the negative spirit always shows up and Larry knows who he is. But I don't believe, I think this is the first appearance of Larry Trainer. Um, hopefully no none of our listeners are bigger Doom Patrol fans than me. Because as far as I know, in the 60s there was, in the 60s form there was Rita, uh, Girl is in the 60s one. And then she doesn't show up in this one until much later. And then Cliff has been in all of them, but I don't believe... Larry Trainer has been. So I I pulled up Doom Patrol Wiki because, you know, I figured we should have a little bit more background on what's going on. Uh, looks like the negative spirit um, looks like in 1961, Larry Trainer flew a test plane into the upper mm-hmm. reaches of Earth's atmosphere. Negative spirit latched onto him, rendering Larry unconscious, laying tumbling down to the ground. So that seems to be. I, yeah, that's his backstory. Now. But yeah, I don't think that. But I don't think but that, that doesn't explored earlier than yeah, now and I that's, think. I, right. and that doom patrol wiki at least that page you pulled up is mostly about the uh the show okay yeah. okay but the, but that is his backstory in the comics right. too. he's he is a fighter pilot in 1961 uh he's married and all that with kids and he's a fighter pilot and then his plane gets taken down by the negative spirit but negative spirit first appeared in june of 1963 in my greatest yeah. adventure yep. number 80 yeah. alter just, ego just like... as larry trainer yeah, just like Larry Trainer did. That's also yeah. his yeah. first appearance. So, so the uh, so 1963 Larry Trainer comes in. So I think we are supposed to connect him to this 1960s crew. And his name yeah. is actually Negative Man. Yeah. So the the My Greatest Adventures version. I did read a couple of those. I didn't realize there's 80 of them. <laughs> That's a lot. So I did read some of the original ones for Doom Patrol, but it's just such a large undertaking that that's why yeah. I started with the Grant Morrison run. But... Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So to answer your question, well, he's he's negative man in the Alex. He's negative man in that early run, but right. This, that's the, what he the, originally is. Is my point. But but the spirit in that's his superhero name. But the spirit mm-hmm. inside right. him is the negative spirit. That's right. The, right. 
Yeah, and you and you learn that they have a symbiotic relationship where the negative spirit, basically, the negative spirit keeps Larry Trainer alive, and That's then, funny. yep, and then the, and then Larry Trainer keeps the negative spirit alive, but he has to like let the negative spirit out once in a while. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, if you watch the show, they explore it in the comics too. But when the negative spirit leaves his body, he goes into this like weird alternate reality until it returns. So that's that's kind of Larry Trainer's story. But again, it's not really something you can really use in a combat situation. So so far, we've got Robot Man who just is you know pissed about being a robot and not being able to feel, and he doesn't really have the intelligence of Tony Stark or any really weaponry on his. You know, <laughs> he has like the most base model robot body and you know he gets bad at dr magnus in this book is the one who gives him the new body and he's like mad he's like why could you you know it's, even in the 80s they had more advanced robots you know why could you give me a terminator body uh but he gets stuck right, with yeah. this like <laughs> tin man <laughs> he gets stuck as like the tin man and then you've got larry trainer who's got a negative spirit that he can't really control especially in the beginning mm-hmm. uh, the, the negative spirit kind of calls all the shots so why niles calder is trying to recruit these two is it's kind of beyond me I mean, it doesn't, doesn't well, seem I, I think that's part of it. I mean, we, we understand Niles Calder is kind of like he's a conniving sort of, mm-hmm. you know, leader, but maybe not as much of a hero as, as we want to believe. And so uh, it, with his whole manipulative shtick, you know, anybody who has a weakness is easier to control. Um, I don't I don't think if he had, you know, like real superheroes at his uh, command that he would control them quite as easily. That's a good point, you know, and like I I was thinking, a lot of people can p- compare the Doom Patrol to the X-Men, and, you know, I can see it, you know, they're they're mutants, basically, and they're mutants in the X-Men in this, they're, I mean, they're kind of mutants, too, mm. uh, And in, but instead of getting a Charles Xavier who's trying to make humanity accept mutants, or trying to help humanity accept mutants, uh, Niles Calder, like Graham said, is a lot more conniving, he, he uses it for his own nefarious purposes, and... I think uh, Niall's ultimate goal, this is discussed much later and it's not a, but it's not a spoiler. Niall's ultimate goal is immortality is all mad scientists yeah. want. <laughs> so, you, you know, he's not up to. I, I do kind of love Doom Patrol as like, if, if you picture Doom Patrol and just picture like the most dysfunctional X-Men you can possibly picture. Yeah. Like, like I, right. I do love that. It's it's <laughs> like, it's like X-Men corrupted. <laughs> that's a good way to put it yeah because they do eventually go to live in dinner <laughs> and so that yeah they all kind of you know live together all right um so yeah so niles calder is nothing like charles xavier at all and so <laughs> before you can recruit cliff cliff is you know going through his own thing he's got his own emotional damage you can imagine and one thing i do love about doom patrol too is they're not afraid to discuss like emotionally damaged people you know like everybody here in this book has been in you know, something horrific and they're not afraid to like talk about it because these are things that do happen. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously not negative spirits and things, but they do discuss real issues, which is a refreshing kind of change of pace. So, well, once- so much of this, so much of this book feels like it's born out of the punks of the late seventies and, and like into the eighties. Um, and we, I think we see a lot of that with like, this is, this is a book for outsiders about outsiders. Um, and it's about people who are not the shiny example of superheroes and i think that's what's so cool about it well to to piggyback off of that i mean that that's absolutely what's cool about it because i mean steven mentioned it just a moment ago about the x-men being outsiders and you know charles xavier's trying to get people to accept him these guys are just trying to make it every day Mm -hmm. that's like their whole thing and they're like look we're just trying to get through every day with our super issue you mentioned that earlier 
And they don't have a leader to look to either. Right. And that's something that never happens. It's not like Niles really steps up. It's always, it always comes down to the Doom Patrol and each other. To I mean, even though they don't really resolve the issues themselves, they try at least. They come up with their own plan together. And it's, it's usually not a very good plan, but, you know, they do it all alone without a leader. So I, I think that's that's pretty impressive given their backstories. Well, it, it, it is really fun that all these people who have their own issues kind of lumped together to form this dysfunctional family <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh and i mean you love to see it you love to see the dysfunctional family still find a way to to survive and thrive mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so at the end of issue 19 is when we first get introduced to the villains uh the scissor men and at first we don't really know too much about them we just know that they've been they're just they're attacking people you know and you always see people kind of talking utter nonsense I, I think there's a, at the end of the first book, there's that guy bleeding on the floor, just saying nonsense. And immediately people are like, oh, it's the scissor men. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then they call in the, <laughs> it's like somebody knows that these are the scissor men. And so then they call in the special investigation. Uh, and I forget what it's, I already forget what it's called, but this is a, this organization is all in Doom Patrol. They just investigate paranormal activities. And it seems like they investigate paranormal activities and they immediately call Niles Calder. Yep. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, oh, yeah, this is paranormal. Better call Niles. Mm-hmm. Which begs the question, why are they the ones investigating? They seem like unnecessary middlemen. <laughs> like their, their whole job is determined, like, should we call Niles? And if they say no, then what? They just hand it back to the local cops? <laughs> right. They're like, here you go. This, this isn't worth Niles' time. <laughs> you guys are fine. I'm sure that security guard in the bank across the street can figure this out for you. <laughs> oh, the bank's gone? Oh, well, that sucks. It's a bummer. <laughs> that is what I love about the Doom Patrol, though. It is, it's very surreal. Things just happen, you know, and the, the things that happen make sense within the story, but the story itself doesn't make sense when you consider reality. Like, it's, I like the things just happen that really wouldn't make sense to it. You know, if you're looking at it from a normal perspective, things just happen that don't make sense. And, and I love it. It's just, it's just fun. Well, yeah. I mean, Doom Patrol has always been weird, but especially Grant's take on Doom Patrol is surrealist. I mean, it's, they talk about in that opening letter, this, uh, this whole idea that, that this run of Doom Patrol was inspired by a love of the 60s Doom Patrol and also all of the surrealist cinema that they were watching. Um, and yeah. so it is, it's literally inspired by surrealist movies. And that's why it's so, it's so weird. It's we, get a lot of like, well, we get a lot of like story followed by broken, fragmented nonsense. <laughs> and then like more story. Yeah. And, we have no, and so it's just, it's so much like almost gives you whiplash kind of book. And it's, and it's a lot of fun that way. Yeah. Yeah. As Graham kind of said, so. For some reason, I don't know why I didn't recommend the whole run. I'll, I'll make a note of that next time. But, you know, looking at just the first two issues, you, you start with 19, then you go to 20. Yeah, and tw- issue 20 just starts with, it's raining fish out of the sky. And this, I think he's a priest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's just like naming all the fish he's seeing. He's like trout, salmon. <laughs> and then he looks well, up well, and so, gets- yeah. We, we it opens and it says, Father, whatever his name is, goes to the local dump. Right, yeah. he's he's at the local dump, uh, looking for signs of God. And why he's there, why he thinks this is a good place to look for signs of God, who knows? But he's wandering through the dump looking for signs of God. He sees a literal sign that says "Believe in God," except there's trash covering part of the sign, so it looks like it says "Believe in Cod." 
mm-hmm. like the fish. <laughs> and he giggles to himself, knowing that <laughs> even when I'm looking for a sign of God, I can't find a sign of God. And suddenly it starts raining fish. Yeah. Because why? Because it's Doom Patrol. <laughs> Well, and then then he continued like you, you talk about that. He laughs because he's like he's naming all these fish. He's like, "Oh, no cod," and then gets smoked by a refrigerator. <laughs> yeah. It's just so yeah. random. He does. He does. Yeah. I mean, he he is, he's he's like laughing because he, the whole the sign is believe in God, but it's covered up, so you can't believe in God. And now it says believe, believe in cod, cod. Believe in cod, but it, he does have to take it on faith because none of these fish are cod. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah yeah smoked by a refrigerator is uh yeah i mean that's that's how i want to go and then I, I i want to believe that the fish that hit the refrigerator was a cod i i, I want to believe that yeah like i want to believe that like and that just feels very doom patrolish like that just feels I mean, like a very <laughs> Yeah, basically what we get throughout this issue is like we follow the Doom Patrol as they're like kind of coming back together as a group. Um, you know, Niles is, is rebuilding the Doom Patrol. And then we also get weird stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So we get these fish from the sky. The end of issue 20 is crazy. Um, what's going on there? Um, but yeah, throughout, it's just it's just the Doom Patrol kind of picking themselves up. So. <laughs> Yeah. We see you know, start to see some of the scissor men going on. Mm-hmm. And and it makes sense that if your your heroes are kinda out there and you know not what you would expect from a typical hero, that the villain should also follow. And and so in issue twenty we finally get a glimpse of the scissor men. I mean, so after the fish falling from the sky, you've got a kid with dirty books in his wardrobe. And uh And he's and he's I, I don't I don't I don't don't really understand here like has he been caught with these dirty books and that's why he needs to go to confession because he's talking about like he needs to go to confession Mm -hmm. um and so i'm not sure if he's been caught with the dirty books or if he just like knows like oh i've got these dirty books now i need to go confess Uh, but he's saying like he's like thinking about like his confession like he's he's thinking about his confession he's going like i I need to make this confession and then the books start calling to him Mm -hmm. from his wardrobe and he's he's, oh no these dirty books oh no and and then he is cut from reality yep i I love that like artwork you know we talked about the artwork not being flashy but they do do cool stuff because when people get cut out of reality you just see an outline of where they used to be within the page yeah right it looks like it looks like somebody's cut them out of the page and now you're left with a comic book that has just a (laughs) hole in it that's (laughs) what i love about uh doom patrol it's just like incepting you and i love his his dad's coming upstairs like i ordered the chinese food right and then then he goes all hero mode he like turns the doorknob the doors the door's locked so he kicks I, open the door. Or... I choose to believe he's found the dirty books, right? Because he doesn't wait a second. Mm-hmm. He twists the door. It's locked. He goes, I'm going to kick my way into the room. He knows what he's doing. He knows and in my doing. head, he's interrupting masturbation. That's what's going on here. He's, <laughs> it's really important to him. I got to stop this. We got Chinese food on the way. <laughs> so he kicks open the door. There's a hole in the in the world. Like there's a hole in his comic book. His kid is gone. <laughs> I just, I wonder, you know, we get the artwork. I just wonder what his dad would have seen though. If his kid was in fact cut from reality, <laughs> like what would you see? I, I, mean, I imagine he, he would see what he something. sees. Yeah, yeah, he, he sees, sees this sort of like hole outline. in reality. Yeah, like, yeah. I, doesn't he like pick the outline up or something even? 
Um, I, think, I thought he, like, interacted I think with he the outline. <laughs> or, well, he, he gets in close to it in that yeah. segment. Yeah. yeah like, and he he's, like, examining it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, but that's that's what we, we, we learn as we go through this storyline, that, like, it's it, this is the, the real becoming unreal and the unreal becoming real. That's what's happening is these worlds are kind of switching places. So the real world is fueling this unreal world that's inhabited by scissormen and the scissormen worship these like weird clock-faced gods yeah i mean yeah and the the, the scissor people live on a planet called Orkwith, which uh you know hopefully the readers were inspired after the first two books to read beyond but so Orkwith was is a is a world that is created when philosophers write about a place that doesn't exist and so then it somehow becomes reality and well, so, it's it, the whole idea is they write this book that's a thought experiment, and the idea is if we write this book, like it, the thought experiment involves creating this place that contains everything that does not exist. So everything that's not real is within this world, mm-hmm. and by but by thinking about this world, we're bringing these unreal things into reality, and but. Un- unreality cannot exist next to reality and therefore it, re- it would replace reality mm-hmm. and the way to do that is obviously the scissormen they would cut the reality out of reality yep. and replace it with unreality and the more you go in down this tunnel down this rabbit hole of, <laughs> of nonsense the more the words start sounding like Dr. Seuss I mean he starts talking about the way unreality is replacing reality <laughs> red fish blue fish and, I mean the whole thing is uh, is insane and beautiful <laughs> In, in insane <laughs> and yeah i mean that's that's what's kind of fun about the doom patrol is is this weird nonsense that goes on here mm-hmm. but yeah that's the uh the scissormen running around <laughs> and and what i mean for most of these these two issues 19 and 20 for most of these issues we don't see the scissormen mm-hmm. like no. we, we see them appear very briefly but for most of it we just go by all of these people covered in blood talking about the scissormen. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the artwork on, Oh, we didn't talk about Kay Chalice also known as crazy Jane yet, but the artwork when she's cut up is kind of freaky to me. Um, so, yeah. So we had, we have cliff who going through his own mental stuff and, uh, he is encouraged to befriend Kay Chalice. Who's also going through her mental stuff. And I think the helping, right. You know, Cliff feeling useful, feeling like he can help Crazy Jane is is helping him. Is you know in helping someone else, it's helping him. Um, and I, I, I really that's that's where a lot of Cliff's problems come from. Is is he he sees himself as a race car driver who can no longer do the things he used to do, and so he feels useless. I mean, he's he's in this robot body that's not even a good robot body, right. and so he just he feels useless. But I mean, talking to Crazy Jane, befriending all of these different personalities makes him feel useful and kind of helps in this. Uh, well, helps in this this mental difficulties he's going through. Well, yeah. but. <laughs> that being said, that, well, go ahead, Alex. That's well, I was, the... I was going to say, I, you know, I don't, I don't want us to go too far into that. I, I, I want to draw attention to Rebus and the actual, the, the body. And I mean, it's mentioned earlier about the, the body being showing male and female attributes, and we get to see that a little bit when they go back in. You want to be part of the Doom Patrol? And you know, they start like they, they start assembling this team, if you will. And I mean, the art, the artist does a great job here of showing like this ripped male figure with female attribute. And I, I thought that was really interesting how they, they broke it down. And I don't know 
the science behind any of this at all. Um, but Rebus, right, yeah. well, no, no, I'm, 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 I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere. I don't know here. the science behind this. Yeah. Well, I'm going, I'm going somewhere. Uh, going back somewhere when I was here. in medical school, we used to attach breasts to men just for the fuck of it. Um, <laughs> I'm going somewhere. He was talking about the, the, the name he gave. It was a term used by the medieval alchemist to identify the result of a chemical wedding. So I, you know, I, I find that really interesting that it's not Larry, it's not Eleanor. They're hey, we're Rebus, so it's two people, it's two personalities, it's two bodies or whatever, if you will. So I thought that was really interesting how they tied that in for the name based in history. So I thought that was a really cool thing. That's where I was going, you jackass. <laughs> you said, you said, I'm, not, I'm not sure the science yes, behind because it. Because I don't know how accurate that actually is. I'm just saying if it is accurate with the, the medieval alchemist, that's a cool tie-in. Oh, Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the cool thing about, about, about Rebus is, is it refers to a new chemical that serves in place of either two chemicals. It, it, this is not a... Uh, I mean, it, it, it's not peanut butter and jelly it's a new entirely different thing it's it's so it, it's not just two things mixed together M- the mixing of these two things has created something entirely new and that's that's what the term rebus when we talk about alchemy that's what it refers to um and so like like that's interesting there but what we see later on in the storyline and, and even even you know right away in the storyline we see people who used to know larry being kind of freaked out that Larry no longer exists. Mm-hmm. And a little bit later we, we get to see, and maybe it's actually just after this storyline, um, but we get to see um, Rebus uh, go back to Eleanor's husband or, or Eleanor's fiance and uh, try to talk to him. And he's going, you're this freak. <laughs> and, and Rebus goes like, yeah, I, I, I'm uncaring. I don't, I don't care about yeah. anything. <laughs> and the husband is, is freaking out, but what we see right away is that Larry and Eleanor have been replaced by Rebus. They are, for all intents and purposes, they no longer exist. There are like some kind of memories within there. We can kind of see them acknowledge that they know things that Eleanor and, and Larry knew, mm-hmm. but they are not Eleanor and Larry. That's uh, somebody entirely new. And, and, and at this point we have Grant Morrison. I mean, just, just a few years ago, um, Grant came out and, and, you know, as non-binary. And I, I think this is an interesting take here with, uh, with somebody who is walking through the world, very confident in themselves. Rebus is, is super confident, but also the world does not understand Rebus at all. Yeah. <laughs> and the world refuse and the world refuses to call Rebus, you know, Rebus, the world wants to call Rebus either Larry or Eleanor, depending mm-hmm. on how they knew them before. Um, and I just, I just think that's an interesting take. I mean, maybe, I mean, it's, it's 1989. It could just be Grant Morrison trying to write a weird character. Um, but I think also there's a chance this is a preview. Yeah. I think it's <laughs> like a personal statement. Yeah. I, that's yeah. Kind, yeah of, who knows? kind of re- with what you said, cause I didn't know Grant Morrison came out as non-binary until you said that. And then kind of rereading this, I was like, oh yeah, that does. You know, I think that is a personal statement there. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's crazy. Foreshadowing, um, thirty-two years in the making. Yeah. Well, and since we're uh, <laughs> since we're way off the rails here, uh, we talked about the the art looking like eighties style, but the the fashion in this is excellent. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love the clothes that everybody's wearing in this. We have um, we have we have Joshua who you know 
we see a few times has really great powers but refuses to use them he yep. he wants to be a doctor he doesn't want to be a superhero right. um, but we, we've got joshua walking around in the classic cosby sweater kind of stuff <laughs> yeah. we have jane with this with cool trench coat we have got cliff with his like leather jacket with the the, the spikes on the shoulders the uh, and yeah. then in, in the next issue in, in issue 21 we get to see uh rebus in like the coolest green tracksuit I mean, the whole thing is like, it's just a sampling of stereotypical 80s clothes. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to re- reread some of them and see what was going on in the 80s. See what, see what was normal fashion. Although I was the Detroit, so who knows what normal is. Uh, yeah, right, right. Yeah. There, there's no guarantee that yeah. the Doom Patrol is wearing it's normal fashion. representation. <laughs> um, yeah, and so uh, one character we didn't talk too much about yet. We did talk about Crazy Jane a little bit, but her powers get explored a lot more a lot further you know as you go you learn more and more about crazy jane she's probably um the character i mean they all develop in their own way but she like really develops a lot so she's got i think 64 different personalities and each of them have their own superpower so and she's each got, of them have their own name mm-hmm. yeah so she's got one that can help her teleport she's got uh was a baby doll i think is one and i think mm-hmm. that that is just like she's super strong um but and then there's some more. I, I can't remember them all. But this it, is interesting to see all the different you know personalities she has and and how that you know be kind of becomes her superpower. Um, of all the members, she's probably the only one. I guess you get Elastigirl late. She's the only one so far with any like true powers that would actually be useful in any sort of you know taking on the Scissormen. I think she's probably the only one who's got the got a chance at it. Well, I mean, she she has so many powers, but but like all of these, she has a hard time using them i mean I, I, although actually in these first books she uses them pretty well she kind of mm-hmm. bounces between personalities pretty quickly and pretty easily um but we're given to understand that she can't always control which personality yeah. is is outward and presenting and uh and and so we can imagine the difficulties there um i and, and i don't know i mean so far the negative spirit's kind of been kicking butt We've yeah. seen a little bit of that. Um, yeah. What we what we've seen is the only one acting like a superhero is Cliff, mm-hmm. and Cliff it is is not succeeding. I mean, yeah. like, like everything <laughs> no. everything we see Cliff do is is like run and and then the, like not succeed. Not, <laughs> not, <laughs> I mean, good for good for him. He he acts like a superhero, He's but trying. I don't know that we get a, we get a lot of superhero stuff. He's putting in the effort, <laughs> a a for effort. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, f, like- f for execution. And I just like at the end too, when when he's trying to escape with Crazy Jane, and all all the like cutout figures are coming after him. Yeah, that's just... yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we see like a garden of these cutout figures, yeah. which which that's so so yeah. The end of this book, we end up you know we're kind of collecting the Doom Patrol. We end up in this hospital again. Uh, we see Cliff and and Crazy Jane running away. We see this doctor who they can't save, uh, getting his thumbs cut off by the Scissormen. Uh, which speaking of scissorman, did you guys see the the origin of the scissorman? Yeah, it's yeah. So like like where scissorman comes from is this is German fairy collection of fairy tales um, called called what Der Strohpeter? Is that is that close? Some, something like that, yeah. Um, but the uh, it's, it's a collection of fairy tales, and and they're all ridiculous. So like the the sample that I put here is the. Uh, so, like the original one, the 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 title um, is about a boy who is poorly groomed, so nobody likes him. Um, <laughs> that's classic like, German. <laughs> that's right. Then, then we have we have a girl who plays with matches, and she lights herself on fire, and then she dies. 
Um, and the title of that story translated from German is the very sad tale about the matches, <laughs> which you can imagine you're playing with matches. Your mom comes in and she goes, Oh, have I ever told you the very sad tale about the matches? <laughs> and the story is essentially little girl played with matches. She lit herself on fire and died. Yeah, is like, that who you want to be? They're very straightforward. <laughs> it's a very straightforward culture. They don't have time for nonsense. We have uh, we have a boy who fidgets at the dinner table, and his parents keep going, stop fidgeting at the dinner table. And he keeps fidgeting, and he knocks all the food on the floor. And apparently in 1845, when this book came out, that was the worst thing that could possibly happen ever. Because yeah, that's how the story ends. The previous story, the girl dies. <laughs> She's on fire and dead. She's a pile of ashes. This story... We're given to understand the moral. The ending here is just as bad. And this kid knocks a bunch of food on the floor (laughs) and they're going, what a terrible outcome. (laughs) I mean, I I just, a German doctor wrote this and I'm not sure he has any idea. (laughs) I mean, the ones that are important, there's, there's one uh, about the inky boys, which is uh, a bunch of boys being racist and they're, they're making fun of somebody with dark skin and they end up getting dipped in ink. um, And they, then they're, they're, black as ink for the rest of their lives wow. <laughs> it's the, i mean it's kind of like weird stuff yeah. and then the other one is um a, a uh, i think it's a boy who goes outside in a storm even though he's not supposed to and he opens his umbrella and he gets carried away and the the end of the the end of the story is just him flying off into the sky um <laughs> never to be seen again <laughs> but those are important things like as you're reading remember that like there, there's all these morals of the uh, all these fairy tales from this german book because uh those two characters, the Inky Boys and this uh, this flying kid, um, come back in just a few issues. <laughs> Not in the ones we read, but, yeah. but they come back soon. Um, so the end of this, we have the clock striking 15, which that reminded me of the, the opening of 1984, where the, the clocks are striking 13. And just the, the whole idea is that like it's something that lets you know right away something's wrong Mm -hmm. because the clocks aren't supposed to strike that many times. Like there's just something weird going on. This is not the world you're used to. So we've got the clock striking 15 reminding me in 1984, we have the, uh, this little girl on fire reminding you of Mm -hmm. the the little girl on fire. (laughs) The, uh, we, I, we, we have like, like this, this library just appearing in Patagonia, (laughs) which like, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of stories about like lost libraries, like or the lost library of, um, Alexandria, something like that. But I mean, like a lot of these cool, the one I liked that I couldn't find any single reference to, I tried to figure out where it was from. It's just Grant Morrison being weird. Um, is the, uh, the, uh, stainless steel pyramids that are (laughs) rotating five feet off the ground. (laughs) It comes comes from nothing. I was sure, right. Cause all of these come from something. I was sure that the rotating stainless steel pyramids floating off the ground came from something. It appears to just come from Grant Morrison's brain. Okay. So (laughs) let let me ask you, cause I, I didn't get the reference for the John Lennon, um, statue bleeding, obviously the bullet, the bullet wound, but, what I mean was what's where's that coming from like or well, was that I mean, just more idea, because he was dead? He, well, yeah, I mean it, it's it's kind of just because he was dead. So okay, it's it's okay. the uh, it's the idea that the uh, so it, I mean it, it, all of this stuff is the unreal becoming real, and okay. so this is this is the idea that the uh, the wax figure in Madame Tussauds is actually John Lennon's body, and, then, and there's there was some of that like urban legend stuff going around at the time. We also have the like. The you know we talk he purposely uses the word stigmata because like we get some of that stigmata stuff throughout these legends 
Um, and then obviously John Lennon was shot. So it's kind of this idea that his bullet hole reopened and the wax figure becomes the real John Lennon, but he's still dead. So he's still dying. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Grant Moore, like I, I was trying to, when we were talking about this last week, some of these issues can get so dense just because, because, mm-hmm. because Grant Morrison is, and just knows how to incorporate you know, he had the alchemy thing. Oh, that's pretty smart. I'd never heard of that. I did look that up and I learned something. Uh, and then just these issues at the the few panels at the end are all, you know, just to be able to include all that in your brain is crazy. Like, I, you know, Graham Morrison's one of my favorite writers. Cause I don't know how they can just take, you know, make surreal. Because, you know, the issue's all over the place, but you're okay with it. You know, like things just happen for mm-hmm. no reason, but you're fine with it. It's not like it's, you know, even though the story doesn't make sense, it's still fun and, and you still want to read more and see how it wraps up. It's just, it's just a genius book. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how Grant well, Morrison can write. Well, and I was going to, you know, to, to that point, you know, you, you look at the history of things that Grant Morrison has done and he's just been so creative over, over several decades uh, with the things that he's really put an effort into and the things that he's, he's done to, to take the next step on because i mean even for you know even for the 80s like this book was out of whack this wasn't this wasn't a very similar kind of same vein as x-men or the avengers or you know the justice league you know so that this was definitely a lot different for its time well we know right we because we we covered the killing joke and and we know about the uh the dark knight returns and we, we know about watchmen um there are some books that come out around this time that are revolutionary books in mm-hmm. the world of comics they kind of bring on a more dark gritty age of comics a little more I don't really like to say a little more realistic, but but we, we've seen that word kind of thrown around. Killing about joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, did I not? I thought that was the first book I said was Killing Joke. But, Killing uh, joke. Alex. Um, not bitter, I promise. Doesn't <laughs> yeah. hold the grudge. Freaking March, March, March <laughs> April now. Cool. But but we've seen these books in the eighties be revolutionary, um, and but but still even being revolutionary in the kind of books they were mostly what we see is the same formulaic superhero book. Like mm-hmm. even though they, they've become darker, it, it's still a kind of formulaic. It's, it's just a darker story. Um, what we get from doom patrol is somebody embracing the fact that comics don't have to be normal, right? Like yeah. comics can be out there, man. And, yeah, like, uh, They weren't pushing the boundaries. Right. It's good. Uh, you know, it's, and so, and so, yeah, this is the idea that sure we could have a revolution towards the more dark and gritty, the more real sort of books, but we could also have a revolution the other way where we have a lot of surrealist stuff does not make sense. Um, and I kind of think that's, that's Grant Morrison to a T. I, I, I love to think of um, one of my, one of my favorite uh comic book uh, podcasters on uh, on Twitter this week mentioned uh, Grant Morrison as the um, like uh, mentioned Grant Morrison as as one of the children of Alan Moore hmm. this kind of I, I, idea that Grant Morrison's writing evolves from Alan Moore and we see that the uh, like Neil Gaiman is uh, is Alan Moore's chosen child and Neil Gaiman kind of ignores that like Alan Moore is like Neil, take over for me, and Neil's like, eh. 
<laughs> and then we see, um, and then there was a th there's a third writer who he mentions, and I, and I can't think of who, but but that's the that's the guy who like really wanted to be the chosen child and is trying really hard now to to prove to Alan Moore that he deserves to take over this mantle. Uh, and then we have Grant Morrison, who's kind of the the kid who Alan Moore doesn't want to take over the mantle, but who does anyway. Because he's just he's just so good, and they, like he's not trying to take over this mantle, but he ends up becoming the heir apparent to uh, to Alan Moore. And I think what we're seeing here, I mean, this is this is Alan Moore still at the height of his powers. Nineteen eighty nine, Alan Moore is still is still kicking and still and still you know writing very well. Mm -hmm. But we start to see this is this is Grant slowly moving into position. This is Grant Morrison slowly taking over that kind of best writer in comics role, uh, and. Uh, and I think Doom Patrol is a great start there. It's this idea that Grant is not afraid to write something that the comics world hasn't seen before. I can agree with that. Yeah, and, and kind of the last thing I'll say before we move on is uh, <clears throat> to next week's book. That's funny you say that about Alan Moore, because that was going to be the point that I was going to make is that I, I didn't know that really, you know, Alan Moore was kind of trying to choose a spiritual successor, but when I look at comic book artists that I followed, I mean, Alan Moore was the first one. So I read Watchmen and it was just so out there. I had to read more from Alan Moore. So it was the first time I actually followed an author instead of a story. And then uh, with Grant Morrison, that's the second time I've ever tried to follow a writer instead of like a storyline. So that does make sense. I guess I just have a particular type of writer that really just, you know, piques my interest. And, and I should be clear, this this was this is more uh, this guy talking about on Twitter is more of a thought experiment. It's not literally what happened. It's not like Alan Moore was like the uh, was like literally trying to hand over the reins well, no, to uh, but... to Neil Gaiman or, or to anybody. But we, we kind of like like a, a spiritual sort of successor yeah. that way. Yeah. Uh, and we do see kind of Neil Gaiman brought up in that in that era of. Uh, of Watchmen, especially, but also mm. um, the, uh, the those other books of that <clears throat> era, um, and when we see Sandman come out or, you know, right around that time and, and really be like knock people on their butt kind of book, um, and then we see Neil Gaiman for the most part take a step back and go like, okay, that was fun, but like let's take a step yeah. back, <laughs> um, and you can sense that like. This is Alan Moore going like, what are you doing? Yeah. You're supposed to be the guy. You were supposed to be the chosen one. <laughs> Bring balance to the force. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like uh, <laughs> when Jedi teach their Padawan. Yeah. <laughs> Giving you everything you need. Yeah, it, but it is, there just needs to be somebody like that in the industry who's not afraid to push boundaries and you know, take, take chances to new levels. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I, like I said, I hope everybody enjoyed Doom Patrol as much as me. And uh, what, what have we got next for um, Grant Morrison? So this yeah. next week, I think it's my book. So we'll, uh, we'll dive into that. Uh, Nameless which came out in 2015. So this is another Grant Morrison series. And, I mean, it's a short run. So if we want to do all six, guys, we can do all six. I just have number one put in there right now. Whatever you guys are feeling. All six, so yeah. then, uh, so all right, we're doing Nameless, issues one through six. Um, again, Grant Morrison, Chris Burnham, and Nathan Fairbairn. This is the story of a down-at-heel occult hustler known only as Nameless, who is recruited by a consortium of billionaire futurists as part of a desperate mission to save the world. I'm excited to read this one. I read through the first issue myself. And I, I think you guys are going to like this one. This one was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, this, one is an, this one is an Image Comics run. So kind of diving back into the third party a little bit. 
but that's, I mean, that's totally okay. Cause you know, Graham mentioned we've done a lot of DC as of late. So I'm, I'm starting to fancy the, the some of the third party publishers a little bit more uh, specifically with image. So that's, uh, that's where we're going with this one. And yeah, I'm excited to do this one with you guys. Yeah, it should be, it should be very cool. That's the, uh, this nameless comic is, is the, uh, not not a nameless comic. The, the name of the comic is nameless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> untitled. I'm going to read untitled comic. <laughs> Number one. But this this is one of the uh, the one of the Grant Morrison books that he put out, uh, kind of in the the mid 2010s. Um, that there were all these independent books that were really cool, and really this is this is Grant kind of flexing their own writing powers and 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 really breaking out of that mold um and i think it leads to uh some of grant's best work so uh i'm i'm excited to to read this one yeah the description was interesting (laughs) it's very grant morrison sounding yes (laughs) (laughs) all right so any any parting thoughts uh great pick this week both pretty good books um i'm probably going to go back and finish the others of this four-part run but I mean, Doom Patrol again. Not not a team, not a group. I'm overly familiar with, but this is a solid introduction to that ensemble. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's it's good that Grant took over because they it would not have succeeded. There would not definitely not be an HBO Max series on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is uh, this is one where where I think Grant Morrison really breathed new life into the series and 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 inspired. I mean, we we see the '60s. A series inspiring Grant, and then we see Grant's series inspiring the more modern Doom Patrol, and 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 then those two Grant and this more modern Doom Patrol series inspiring the show, uh, which breathed life back into Brendan Fraser's career. So, <laughs> yep, yep. I'm just, After I'm just the saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe Brendan Fraser writes a letter to Grant Morrison thanking them for uh, for his career. God, I lo- <laughs> I love Brendan Fraser. I'm so glad that he's back. Well, we you should know, watch yeah. Doom Patrol. Like, you know, he's, you know, just after all the stuff he has been through, like, it's it's so good to see him, like, back in the public eye. Well, and by all accounts, just a really good dude. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Very exciting. Do we have any parting thoughts for this week? Nope. <laughs> I, I mean, no, again, like, you know, this is this is a great introduction to Steam, like, great introduction to these characters. And it's cool kind of seeing Grant Morrison put his own twist on on this ensemble. And I'm looking forward to reading more Grant Morrison to finish out the month. Well, I think uh, I think I think that's what's so cool about about this month of Grant Morrison is we're starting with something that's more towards the beginning of Grant's career. Uh, and now we can get to jump into something a little more recent with uh, with Nameless next week. So mm-hmm. that should be fun. Sure. Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited to see how Grant Morrison's style, you know, I'm excited to see what he, he does writing about different characters in a different comic book on, I'm excited to see some of their other work. Mm-hmm. So we hope you enjoyed our first foray into Grant Morrison's masterpieces. We hope you enjoy talking about the doom patrol. We hope you enjoy something surreal. We hope you go out and buy a stainless steel pyramid that uh, <laughs> rotates and hovers five feet off the ground <laughs> We hope that you enjoy your own surrealist life. We hope that you don't get cut out of this world by the scissorman. We hope you go to your local comic shop. We hope you approach the counter and tell the person at the counter, make mine paperback. We'll see you next week. 